All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? I know, yes, it's Wednesday. I know it's Wednesday. It's not Monday or Thursday. It's Wednesday. And yes, we're going to have an episode tomorrow as well. It's just a big week. What can I tell you? We've got these Oscar nominees. Uh, like we have like five. We've had more, maybe. How many? I, it doesn't matter. But we've got these guests who are nominated for Oscars this year. And we want people to hear these episodes before the voting period ends next week. That means we had to uh, squeeze in an extra episode this week. And it's a good one. America Ferrara, uh, you know her from Ugly Betty, Superstore, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, she is nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Academy Awards for her performance in Barbie. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, hinges on that stunning monologue she did, which is sort of a fascinating bit of acting and also a fascinating kind of rant that has a life all its own. And I... I know her work. I know America's work. I, I, I've watched a bit of, of the TV shows. And I, I don't believe I saw the uh, sisterhood of the traveling pants. But I was sort of curious to talk to her because I never really know how acting interviews are going to go. You know, and I don't really ever know, you know, how much an actor wants to talk about themselves uh, or who they really are because they live in these roles. But there is this episode is kind of a, a great story of of what America comes from, some of the struggles she had to uh, go through to uh, get to where she is. And, and she grew up right here in L.A. And it's definitely a unique story that I haven't heard before. You know, this is a big deal being nominated for an Oscar. And, um, you know, it was not really an easy path and it was sort of a, a long shot this is a long shot story in some ways but her perseverance and you know her focus obviously is what transcended but uh i enjoy talking to her um barbie is a uh, of course now streaming on max so let's just uh, get into this uh with uh, america ferrara I just talked to um, Mark Ruffalo. Here? Yeah, he was just here. Oh! A couple hours ago. I love that guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. You're both up for the same award, kind of. Different, like, you, yeah. men and women. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting, right? It's, yeah, it's mm, crazy. I it, guess. Yeah. <laughs> it feels very surreal. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time you've been doing this. Yeah. And... Did, did you have any sense that this would be the movie? But no. <laughs> no. That you would do this monologue that changed the world? No. What? It did. That's very kind. Um, I When I read the script, I was yeah. totally floored, just like blown away. But how did it read? Because it's so funny. I mean, I know that, you know, the point of view of it, is powerful, but it's it's hilarious. It read it read it read so funny. Yeah. I mean, in the end, I felt like I had gone on a mushroom trip because yeah, yeah. because I was laughing from page one, but then I was crying, and I'm like, why am I crying? Watching like reading a Barbie script, yeah. And then in the end, I was like laughing and crying, and yeah, yeah. it sort of ended with that joke, you know, which was so insanely funny on the page. 
and and in the movie, but when I first read it, the ending with Barbie going to the gynecologist. Yes. And and then it was just over. And I remember like laughing and crying at the same time and being like, what did this Barbie movie just do to me? <laughs> I know. I've seen it three times. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Have you spoken to Greta? Yes. Margo? Oh, and Ryan? No, no. I didn't. I, I've not talked to Ryan or Margo. I don't yeah. know what they're afraid of. <laughs> I don't know why they just don't come over, but I've talked to Greta. I talked to her twice. Oh, that's you know, great. I talked to her years ago for um, Lady Bird. Yeah. And now it's like she just like, you know, changed the world somehow. She's so unique. I mean, I'm, I'm just so deeply inspired by how true she is to herself yeah. and who she is and her crazy, bonkers, unique vision of yeah. the world and yeah. voice. And, you know, that that's the exciting part of like, you know, they, I, they said Greta. Greta called and and she wrote a script for. She wrote a script, a Barbie script. Yeah. And there's a part in it that she said she wrote with your voice in her head and, um, and you know, I, no, not in a million years did I ever dream or imagine that I would be in a Barbie movie. Um, but that you know, but but I but Greta, I I was, I am such a was such a fan yeah, of hers yeah. and um. When I knew that it was her, and also Margot, who is such a talented actress, I it's mean, it's so crazy. She's kind. Of, it's kind of insane. Uh, her. And that's the thing is reading the script, which was a brilliant script, yeah. but also that could have gone so many ways, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. knowing that it was going to be, knowing that it was going to be Margot, and how her presence. Um, brings such depth. Yeah, like yeah. She, she just, she just kind of emanates depth and soul yeah, and yeah. and intelligence and so that's why reading it um and you it also picture her yeah yeah knew? i could picture her doing it thinking oh this is gonna be this is gonna be brilliant yeah 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 and had you worked with ryan before uh-uh no no never no were you like officially a disney person no never no and my first job ever was a disney channel right. movie yeah and i was no because we never had like cable tv at home <laughs> so no so, but i mean but you but that's what i mean you were but you were in the you weren't oh, one of the, oh you mean like yeah, not you did i love the, disney was yeah. i in oh i guess i was officially a disney person no i mean yes my very first job was a a movie made for the disney channel so i think that makes me officially a disney person yeah and uh so you didn't have cable growing up at all no i mean no. sometimes we didn't have tv sometimes we didn't have a phone or like a working fridge <laughs> like you know really? we like you know it went in and out but that's what's interesting about you know that monologue um but you the whole performance is great but like when that monologue sort of lands uh it really is this amazingly broad sort of voice of all the challenges mm. of being a woman in the world and you grew up with a lot of that mm-hmm with your mom, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I think being a woman and then adding to it, I think part of what also what deeply resonated for me in that monologue was also just my experience living between cultures, yeah. like living in a Latino home and 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 but being charged with like assimilating with the world but not assimilating too much and yeah. staying true to your roots but succeed in this culture so that was like another added layer of experiencing the 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 just the impossible mission of having to be 
something different in every single room you walk into and having to be all the things and somehow none of the things all at the same time. Right. But but where'd you grow up? Here? In the valley, in Woodland Hills, Canoga Park. So the whole life, L.A.? Yeah. I moved to, at the end of college, I moved to New York, and I've been there for about 18 years now. Oh, so you live in New York? I live in New York, yeah. You got out? I did. <laughs> I mean, not for good. I'm always here, and yeah. I love it here. I yeah. I actually really have come to accept and love L.A. for what it is. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> I think it's a slow. It's slower. Yeah, you sprawling. Have, you have more control over mm. your little tiny bubble. Yeah. Like it's a good place to go in inward, I guess. Yeah, but it can be lonely and isolating. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know why we've always took to New York because you, you live can, right in the city, right in yeah Manhattan. Oh, I was thinking about going back there. You love it. We love it. <laughs> we, we love it. And we're just trying to figure it out because we have two small kids. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old now. In the city. And you're just In running around. Is it a walk-up? No, we oh, okay. have an elevator. Thank God. Um, and, you're not and, carrying strollers up. And you know, you're, you're like, ah, oh, I'm so glad we're, we're such cool parents. We yeah. live in the city and our kids like, you know, go across the street in the park. And But then you're like... Oh, we can't play in the playground today because there's some needles, you know, or like drugs. And then you're like, is it, are we doing the right thing? Like, you know, we want to be there for so many reasons. Yeah. And then there are moments where you're like, do they have to see all of it? Yeah, and yeah, how right. young is too young? And right. like, you're, you're kind of, um, so it's always a back and forth of like, we love it here. And what are we doing here? And we love it here, you know? But it's funny, you get, you know, you bring your kids up in New York, you're gonna be New York kids. Well, that's the problem is that now my son, who's only five, is already like, identifies as a New Yorker. Yeah. So we go away, even on vacation. Yeah. And both of my kids are like, when are we going home? Like, they're just like, we want to go back to New York. Yeah. So now they're New York kids, and I don't know what would happen if we tried to take them out. It's crazy, because my buddy, you know, he's lived in New York forever, and he's got he's got this son who is like just like a New York art kid. Yeah. And there's a whole personality yeah. that comes with being a New York kid. I know. Is your is your uh, husband Latino? No, oh. he's uh, he is a white man. A white man. A white man from El Paso, Texas. Oh, so we kind of had like opposite upbringings. <laughs> I, like, I would say I was so. The, <laughs> like I was the Latino girl in the valley, right? And I went to like eighty-five bar and bat mitzvahs when I in seventh grade. Yeah, and he was the white boy in El Paso who was like in twenty-five quinceañeras. You yeah, know? And exactly. it was like we had sort of these opposite existences. Um, well, El Paso is very like. Latino. Oh yeah. yeah, like 80 85%. Yeah, I grew up in New Mexico and I think it was like 70%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he's like funnily like culturally he speaks Spanish? No. He's wait, do you know? <laughs> do you know that the husband in my in the movie in Barbie, yeah. my husband in the movie, that's my real husband. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh, I had no idea. That's hilarious. I laughed so hard because Is that your real relationship? <laughs> no, no, but the first time I spoke to Greta on Zoom yeah. about the script, I was telling her all my favorite parts that made me laugh out loud. And and one of them was cutting to the husband, the white husband at home learning Spanish yeah. because my husband was like literally in the other room doing his Spanish lesson. Um, he 
took 12 years of Spanish. He grew up in El Paso. Yeah, still can't he get He understands it. all of it and like yeah. cannot speak it to save his life. So it was actually huh. the perfect little cameo for him. How about the kids? Do you bring them up with the Spanish in the house or no? Um, I try really hard. I have to have other people around who speak Spanish, yeah. who I can speak Spanish to. It gives me more confidence. You um, grew up with it though? Oh yeah. I grew yeah. up in a my parents spoke, all the adults in the family spoke Spanish. And then we would, all the kids would yeah. talk to them in English. So it was like dual lingo, but we Just only- Just back and forth. We knew one language and they knew the other language. But you knew both. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can definitely, I understand all of Spanish. I can definitely communicate and defend myself. But I wish I was like fluent in a way where I wasn't self-conscious about speaking it. Oh, that, that came later? Did you get away from it, the Spanish? I mean, why? But you, I mean, you were fluent. Well, no, it. You know, it. It wasn't fluently like understanding it, but sure. we never really spoke it. And then there's this added thing of like, if we messed up, they made fun of us and laughed. At, the adults would like make oh, fun of okay. us and laugh at us yeah. and be like, "Oh, you're so white," or "You're so American," and then we would just stop speaking Spanish. And then we're then they were like, "You didn't learn Spanish." It's like because you made fun of us every time we tried. Well, that's interesting. So they were, you know, they were criticizing you, but they wanted you, you know, that's another one of those weird kind of conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you, where were your parents from? Honduras. My parents were both uh, born and raised in Honduras. Honduras. Did you, have you gone there? I have. I've been back um, two, two or three, two, two or three times now. Yeah. Um, You have a lot of people there still? Um... Yeah, I, I think I do have a lot of family, but I'm not, I don't know that, like, I'm not that close to Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Um, I, but I did, I, I went back to, my father went back to Honduras when I was nine. Oh, so wow. my parents split up, my father went back, um, and I never saw him again. And Never? He, yeah, no, I never saw him again. And he passed away in 2010. Yeah. I was like in my 20s. And then after he passed away, I had I took my first trip there, and I took my um, with with a Bono's organization, the One Campaign. Yeah, we went on like a USA trip. Yeah, and um, we actually happened to go to the village that my father was born and raised in, and the head of our security grew up with my dad and took me to um, his grave, oh and it God. was sort of this like. Um, completely on accident, uh, found my father's grave in Honduras. Um, and, and this is crazy. Um, it, it happened to be the, the, the two years to the very day that he, um, had his funeral that I couldn't go to. I couldn't get to. Um, you would have gone though, even though he. Abandoned. I would have gone if I could go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I just didn't have enough connections to. I don't. I didn't. I don't know my family there, so I didn't have enough connections to, um, to really figure it out. You know. Yeah. So was it like? Did you have some sort of a mystical experience with with the the cosmic timing of the whole? Oh thing? yeah. I mean, it felt crazy. Like, yeah. Crazy to be like. Whoa. Did you have resentment towards him your whole life, or no? No, no, not that I was conscious of. It, it was. It was all very complicated. Um, it was, it was a lot of complication. I think I was shocked about how I felt when he died, because I think more than anything, he left when I was nine, 
he wasn't really a big part of our life. He wasn't, you know, he just wasn't a part of my, most of my life and most of my childhood. Do you remember him though? Yeah, I remember him. And, but the shocking part of it was like when he died, how much grief I felt when like consciously I felt like, well, he hasn't really been a part of my life. So why would I feel like I was losing anything? I guess I lost him when I was nine, but then I had so much grief when he died. Huh? Yeah. And yeah, it just all came up. Yeah. All the loss. Yeah. Yeah. And do, was your mom like, what, she wasn't in touch with him, I assume. No, it was not a, <laughs> it was not a conscious, uh, what did they call it? Conscious uncoupling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was not one of those. How yeah. many siblings do you have? I have five siblings. That's crazy. I know. I'm the youngest of six kids, and we are all born within six and a half years. In Woodland Hills. In Woodland Hills, California. So your mom had to just carry all the weight. Mm-hmm. I guess your siblings got, what, the, one of them must have been in his teens when... My brother and, yeah, my brother was like 13, yeah. Wow. So what did your mom do to make ends meet? My mom, growing up, my mom worked at a Hilton hotel in Canoga Park. Um, most of my childhood, like 14, 15 years. And she ran, she was the like director of the housekeeping, the the housekeeping department. And we all grew up working in the yeah. hotel. Yeah. All of us had our first jobs in the hotel. Oh yeah. What'd you do? I waitressed. I served Alice Cooper once. Oh, how was that? <laughs> was it sober and, uh, and nice Alice Cooper? I, I think he was, um, um, I like didn't make eye contact with me. I don't. I don't. I don't think he was really that aware of me. I guess not a lot of stars come through the Hilton in Canoga Park, <laughs> right? <laughs> he must have lived out there or and something. I, and I ran. And I did the. I waitressed the morning breakfast shift, which was like started at five a.m. I was. I was a terrible, terrible waitress. So everybody, the whole family worked at yeah, the Hilton. Yeah, we, we covered, we could run a hotel. My brother was valet, my sister was front desk. I actually, like, one summer basically did my mom's job. I, like, ran the housekeeping department for her in the mornings when I was, like, 16 or 17. But, yeah, I mean, we could run that hotel, the six of us. Is it still there? I'm sure it is. I yeah. don't know. I don't go into the valley very often. Don't even. You don't want to <laughs> trigger any trauma. So early employment trauma, <laughs> life trauma. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> How about the siblings? You get along with them? You know, differing degrees. Yeah, wow. I have like my sister who's 12 months older than me. She and I grew up so close, and and but no one lives close. Like I live in New York, and yeah. my sister who's a year older than me lives in Dallas. Um, so, you know, we see each other three three to five days at a time at the holidays. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, families. I know. Funny. It's crazy because, I mean, it, when you talk about it, and, and I'm like, I don't know why I, I act surprised because, like, yeah, I have cousins I don't have that big of a relationship with. Yeah. My brother and I are good. I just have one brother. You yeah. got to make that work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> You can try, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Um, I we I feel like so many people I know, like when you get into it, experience estrangement in family, yeah. like relationships yeah. that just have to kind of, you know, have a lot of distance. And and yet it's like it's still so taboo. Like we don't talk about it. About the real strains of the of- reality of like how tough family relationships can be, and that sometimes estrangement. 
is is okay. Sure. And, Sometimes you can't, for whatever reason, talk to them. I right. mean, I, I went through a couple of years. I didn't talk to my dad. You mm -hmm. know, you, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. And then if you live long enough, eventually somebody gives in. Yeah. <laughs> Or not. <laughs> it depends how stubborn you are, I guess, or how bad it all was. So, Or how happy you are. <laughs> now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Why ruin this, the happiness, by going back to that? I feel like you're going to get me in trouble somehow. Somehow? I, I, I'm a grown-ass woman. Yeah. I don't think we've done it yet. I'm not trying to. I'll, I'll let you know that. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out where, you know, like where it all starts. So so you're in high school and you're you're doing Hilton jobs. Yeah. And then how does acting happen? Acting started for me, I was like five years old. Not professionally. Right, right. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. daughter of working class immigrants. Um, that was an incredibly insane dream for me to yeah. have, you know. and But I was five the first time I saw... Uh, my sister, my oldest sister was in a fifth grade play and I was in kindergarten and I, you know, went to her performance yeah. and I just recognized it. I really what I felt was rage and jealousy because, sure. <laughs> because like I didn't get to be in the play. All the attention. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. well no, I, I saw them up there doing something that I really wanted to be doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was like, nobody asked me to play. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. And so I just recognized it as something. I, and I was like, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I was five. Yeah. And I said to my mom, I'm going to be an actress and I'm going to be a human rights lawyer. That's what I wanted Both. to be when I was five. Yeah. Well, I think there's some acting involved in law. <laughs> right. But yeah, but oddly, I guess over the course of your career in life, you've done both of those things. Not the lawyer part, but, but you've issues. stood up for, yeah, the yeah, issues. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how do you start acting? Is your mom supportive? When, how old were you? I Well, I did it in school. I did it everywhere I could do it, just mainly like school, community theater, that type of thing. And then Plays, all plays? Plays, yeah, all theater. And you went out to auditions at community theater in Woodland, Woodland yeah. Hills? I went to Pierce College, and I, you know, just knocked on the door. And Wait, was that's like, right out Pierce College. That's, yeah, that's. I just talked to somebody about that. That's out in the valley. Yeah, it's in Woodland Hills. Isn't there another school out there with horses? Like because I, I we shot something out there at one of those campuses. Maybe it was Pierce. It's just out there. Pierce Community College. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I would I would just show up at their drama department and I'd be like, I'm in you know middle school, but can I audition for the plays? And they'd let me. And then I would, you know, I, I would just do it. I'd just find any chance because it had to be free. We had no money, and. And, you know, the worst thing they could do was say no. So I truly was just looking for any opportunity to do it. Yeah. And then I got really um, lucky. And I was a junior in high school. I was, I, I, I saw this uh, woman manager came to our drama class and talked about um, auditioning for commercials and like, learn to audition for commercials yeah. and I'm a manager and I'll send you out. And uh. so, you know, I'll, just like lots and lots and lots of kind of, you know, schemes or, or just dead end type of things yeah. that, that exist out here. Yeah. You know, I used my, my money uh, that I got from waitressing. To pay her? And I paid her. And you know what? What? It worked. I did it. She became my manager. She sent me out for auditions. I never booked a single thing for like a year, like which commercials was hard. commercials or TV shows? Commercials. Um, uh, guest stars and you know every audition was was a racket I had to you know I was 
I didn't drive. Uh, I didn't have a car. Yeah. I had a license, but not a car. So every time I got an audition at 4 p.m. in Santa Monica, and oh I lived in the valley, it yeah. was like, who was going to take me? How was I going to get there? What, whole like, day. Yeah, or just like I had to beg, borrow, and steal, and take buses, and just any way to each opportunity. So, you know, starting out, every time I got an audition, I thought, this is the one. But, yeah. you know, having no idea that you could audition for years and years and never get anything. And so it was about a year of auditioning and never getting even a callback. And then right when I turned, before I turned 17, I booked the Disney Channel movie, Gotta Kick It Up. And it was at the end of my junior year. Just with this manager, no agent. No, just with this manager. Oh, no, she got me to, at an agency, Bobby Ball Agency on, yeah. on Lankersham. Yeah. And, you know, they'd send me out and it was like, um, right, right from the beginning, like the realization of, you know, what what Hollywood was gonna do with me? You know, it was it was it was um, very kind of stereotypical, demeaning type like of like Latino roles. You know, I even as a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like commercials for like you know like bail bonds commercials and oh my God. you know um, the the like the 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 maid's kid yeah. and the yeah. you know it was like. Oh, so I'm I'm not gonna be up for Aaron Brockovich. Cool, got it. You know, it was like I was young, and and but it didn't take long to realize, like, oh, these op- it's it's not gonna be easy to come across the opportunities to to like play the kind of roles I want to play, and and um, but I did get lucky very early on, and I I booked the Gotta Kick It Up movie on Disney Channel, and then right after that. We hadn't even barely finished Gotta Kick It Up, and I got my first film, which was um, Real Women Have Curves. And that's like that was a pretty big movie, right? Yeah, it was. It was huge. It changed my life. Now, are you were you training at all in any way? Did no, you take any classes high, ever? High school, high school drama. And that was it. Yeah. Still. No, not still. Um, I was. I had no training. I had been working about five years. I was in my second season of Ugly Betty. And I kind of just grew so um, sick of myself. I was like, Ugh. "What exactly?" Just like I hate my tricks and my, oh. you know, like I had only gone off a of sheer instinct. So you, oh, so you felt started to feel limited. So all of a sudden, I was like, "I don't know how to. I don't know what I'm doing." Like, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't know how to build a character for five years. Yeah. Like, I think I've done all the things I know how to do. And and anyway, I had to keep doing it. So I looked for a coach and, and I found a coach who I've now worked with since then for like 17 years. She's phenomenal. And I built, you know, I kind of from the ground up found a process that worked for me and built a creative process that works for me. And, you know, um, and 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 it's been a way for me to you know, feel like I have tools and that I'm not right. just kind of out on a limb with, with no, nothing. Right. You know? You're not a fraud. Yeah. Or an imposter of some right, kind. Right, right. Yeah, but that, but that, so, all right, so you do the, the Real Women Have Curves and that changes your whole life. Mm-hmm. Did you move out of your house? Did you? I went you to know? college. Oh. I went to USC to study international relations. Yeah. 
And I kept auditioning and kept doing mo- like mainly independent films, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a pilot here or there. Yeah. And I was both like getting my degree in international relations at USC and studying at the same time. And like, I'll just never forget the time where I was like shooting an independent film in Yuma, Arizona, shooting a pilot in Austin, Texas, going between those two sets and then like writing term papers on the floor oh my God, that's crazy. in the Phoenix airport, like yeah, in a layover yeah. between yeah. sets. So I was, I was doing a lot. I was, I was ambitious and I wanted to do all of it. So with school though, like what, what did you think that was going to get you? The international relations? I, I don't think anything. I honestly, I felt, I felt confused myself about why I really wanted to go to college to study something else. I, I knew that my career was going to be in acting and storytelling and in, in the entertainment industry. I I never planned to like have a backup plan. It wasn't about that. It was, I was in, I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened and I think it was like my first day of senior year of high oh school my God, and yeah. and I remember that being the scariest part of it to me was realizing that I knew nothing about the world right that I had grown up my whole life in this bubble with a very curated education that didn't teach me about the world and yeah. how vulnerable that made me and how scared I felt that I had missed so much right. of the truth. And so I feel like I had always, like I said, five years old, I'm like, I'm going to fight for justice, you know? Um, but but I'd always been deeply curious about the world. And right. so I wanted to go to college and study for the sake of knowing and learning and bettering myself. And then when I was in college, I had a crisis where I thought, um, well, I mean, the world is so fucked up. Like, what am I going to be an actress? How's that going to help anything? Right. And so I, I was really depressed and kind of alone, feeling lonely, isolated at school, and um, and you know, feeling like, okay, well, the only thing I can really do is quit acting. So that's oh, what I'll really? do. I'll quit acting and I'll, I'll go to school and I'll become whatever a lawyer or a politician whatever do something to try to make the world better yeah and i had the good fortune of uh reaching out to my one of my professors in his office hours and kind of bringing my crisis to him yeah and it just so happened he was like an older white guy it just so happened that he'd had this latina girl he was mentoring from a nearby high school Uh uh-huh and that she had come to him and said, you know, if you really want to understand what my life is like, you really want to understand what I'm up against, come watch this movie with me. It's called Real Women Have Curves. And <laughs> and that he took her to go see this movie and then and then they took the DVD to her parents and then he had a conversation with her parents about supporting her dream to go to college like the girl in the movie and and that ultimately they did and this girl went off to college and that and that my that the movie that I was a part of helped that and changed, like truly changed the direction of that girl's life. And it was probably one of the most important moments in, in one of the most important moments in my path, because um, it gave me the, I felt like he gave me the permission to keep doing the thing I love to do that, that he was saying to me, it storytelling matters and that it, creates the culture 
that tells us what's possible. Right. And so you don't have to ignore what you love and what you're passionate about to help make the world better. Go towards what you love. And what I loved was storytelling and it was learning about the world. So I just like, he gave me this permission to kind of just be all the things that I was. And, and, and it still was hard and it was still frustrating. And I still kind of was always doing double the amount of work and having none of the fun um, and kind of frustrated at myself for, for, for always having to do all the things. And then ultimately they started dovetailing. Finally, they started coming together where I could use the platform I had built as an actress to tell stories that, that, that mattered to me. Stories that I felt like were, you know, whether that was being in a documentary, like years of living dangerously about climate change or half the sky about, about girls lives all around the world. Like I could, I could finally see like, oh, I didn't have to pick. I didn't have to choose. Like I actually get to be all the things I want to be. And, and, and there's, and I can make my own path. Yeah. And, and did you, were you satisfied like in studying uh, uh, international relations? Did you actually, were you able to educate yourself in the way you wanted to be educated? I mean, I feel like college is wasted on young people. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Like here's, oh, okay. So I went to college for a long time. I also didn't know how to study. I was a straight A kid kind of almost at the top of my class all through high school. And then I got to college and I was like, nobody has taught me how to learn anything. No one's taught me how to think. No one's taught me to like really learn. I, I, I figured out how to get straight A's and, you know, be a good student. Right. But so there was a real crisis of confidence there. And so I felt like my er, my earlier years in college, while obviously they were shaping me as socially and as a person, really getting the education was hard because yeah. I, I didn't know how to receive it. I didn't know yeah. what to do with it. Yeah, I neither. Yeah. And I had to take a hiatus when I got Ugly Betty. I had to take four years to, to, to do that. And when I finished, I came back to finish my degree. And I was so voracious and, and and happy to be in a learning environment and like I loved every single one of my teachers I'm like I'm not afraid of you you're just a really smart person who wants to teach me something it was yeah. like I was you know I was 29 and I was like that person that old person in the class telling 17 year olds like pay attention you oh, know really? but it's it, it almost made me want to go back to grad school which I didn't but I, it made me feel like I gosh I wish and who knows, you know, I can't go back and change it, but it almost makes sense for like, I wish I would have taken time off, been in the world, worked, and then really gone to school because I feel like more would have sunken in. I would have like kept more and held on to the education, but you know. But you went back. But I went back and I finished my degree and. and this is after Ugly Betty. This is after Ugly Betty. Oh my yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's great, but like, who does that? <laughs> Do you know? And it's like it's uh, it really speaks to uh, your 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 character, like because you wanted to know. Yeah, I did want to know, and it and it worked. Yeah. So okay, so how does how does Ugly Betty happen? Ugly Betty. Um, because like even that, like it seemed to you know engage politically, engage around 
you know, body image stuff. I yeah. mean, you had to really, you were put in a position to stand up for a lot of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my first film, Real Women Have Curves, was yeah. also about, you know, it was about a lot of things. It was about, you know, the cultural struggle. It was about beauty standards for women. Yeah. It was about bodies. And, and so that's been a big part of my career. And, you know, how I view it and feel about it kind of changes all the time. I mean, at the time, I only felt incredibly grateful that 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 I was in the right place at the right time to play roles that were perfect for me to step into. Right. So I felt so much gratitude. I felt so lucky, um, you know, to to have an opportunity like yeah. Real Women Have Curves, Ugly Betty. Yeah. Um, I and I felt and I felt like thrilled and proud to be able to step into those roles, make them feel like. You know, that yes, those were elements of it, but I got to build full character human people and that were not defined by their body type or their culture, you know, even though that was kind of the headline, right? Sure. Um, And then I also felt like I had an opportunity, maybe a little bit of a responsibility and and really no choice because it's all anyone wanted to talk about, you know. Which Uh, when? When I was 17 and 21 on Real Women and Ugly Betty, like... Like, like you're a role model and you're, and you're breaking boundaries with your body and you're, you know, what's it like to be, what do you have to say to girls who are like you? And so I was young and, and truthfully just figuring it out for myself, like learning how to like, like myself, yeah. but then needing to be like a spokesperson, which I did. And I think I, I did an a good job stepping into that. And I enjoyed stepping into that. But now kind of looking back, I sort of think like, you know, the fact that my career was focused, has been in a lot of ways focused on, you know, my body, what I look like, my culture, that I'm breaking bounds. Like that's got nothing to do with me. I didn't, that's not why I did this. I wasn't five years old thinking I want to go be a role model for body positivity and represent every single Latino in the world. Mm. I was thinking, I want to be an artist. Yeah. I want to tell stories. I want to play people. Yeah. And, and, and so it was more about what, people what our culture saw when they looked at someone and they like project me. onto you and that was my only entry point in i yeah. had to embrace myself i had to embrace the conversation i had to embrace the opportunity to speak to it and i did it um and and now i i do find i do f- think of it as an opportunity and not as a responsibility when we get to have conversations about what the work is saying but that's also I have to get really clear that that is not my soul's yearning as an artist. My my soul's yearning as an artist is to get to tell stories and be messy and be complicated and try to get beyond all that stuff to a very human story that connects to people in a way that transcends all of that. Transcends and, body image and, and race. And race and culture yeah. and all of that, you know? And, 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 you know, not everybody has to always be speaking for every single person who has a body type. Like, like have you ever been, like, asked to represent every man who has a body type like you? <laughs> no, no. I, I, but I, I've never gotten the kind of attention that, yeah. that you've gotten either. But also, as a public person... You're, you are put in a position to represent 
what the the culture wants you wants you to represent right, right. and it's it's it on some level it's a, not a win win it's not it's hard to win that yeah i i mean like you know to, because it's not like you were heavy or or different you you're a normal person well uh you know i would agree with you but that was not the conversation the conversation right. was like wow you're so outside the norm for who belongs in this spotlight in the you know? tv yeah and and i want to say like I, I feel like what i'm trying to do is speak to like how it's complicated but yeah. but but i also and how like as i get older i look back and go like oh man like i'm glad i did speak up and i'm glad that people do feel seen and that we're having the conversation but sometimes it would be so nice to just get to be a freaking artist. Right. But didn't you have to deal with the other side of it too? Like, you know, like ugly Betty and you're, you're, you're not ugly, but, but, you know, you became this representation of, you know, uh, of a realistic body image. But then when you tried to, like, even when you lost weight, then they, did they criticize you for that? They talked about it. Yeah. They I talk, mean, it's yeah, like crazy. Yeah. So yeah. like, you you know, you do the right thing and then you just want to take care of yourself or change as a person and then you get shit. Right. Right. And I just think like, I think I feel like that's the challenge and the work and yeah. also the vehicle for becoming a more, um, you know, per, a happy person who knows who you are yes. is to like understand that there's always going to be be some conversation not dictated by you and what you want the conversation as a public to person be. Uh, yes yeah in this job yeah. as a public person yeah. when and i am it's why i do the job i i want to tell stories that connect and create conversation sure. and sometimes the conversation isn't going to be the one you want to be having and and i and you know i think i've learned to just um take the opportunities that feel like um, generative and productive yeah. and know that the other stuff is going to be there and it's and it doesn't really have anything to do with me it has everything to do with like what it sparks in the culture sure. what it sparks in other people and i didn't i didn't realize that superstore was has actually been on longer than ugly betty well it's tricky yeah because it ran long yes it we did more episodes of superstore than ugly betty but Ugly Betty was also an hour long and Superstore right. was half hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. So probably in total, it was sort of like the same amount of content, you know? How far into Ugly Betty were you when you when you won the Emmy? It was like the first season. And that's like, that's the other thing. This, like all this uh, attention around being the first Latino. And, that... s and still the only. Well, yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's it's super. It's kind of crazy. It's a super bummer, you know. Yeah. It's like, we can't win awards for roles that don't exist, right? Right. I mean, I've been doing, I've been working for twenty plus years now, and it would be nice to see. Um, it would be nice to see things changing, you know, um, and and we can. As much as we like to like point to certain things like, oh, well, here's, a, you know, here's a show about Latinos. And right, here's a, sure. like, when you really look at the data, which now we have the Annenberg Center for Inclusion, yeah. which does incredible research and kind of makes us, forces us to look at numbers and what's actually happening. Like the level of invisibility 
for Latinos in this industry is unchanged in 16 years in reality, you know, and, and that's a hard thing for me to reconcile sometimes because I have a freaking fabulous career yeah, and my opportunities are changing and my career is changing. In what direction? In a, I mean, right now I just got nominated for an Academy Award. Like it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm achieving my dreams and people are inspired by that. And I'm so glad they are. And many things can be true at one time. We look at the larger numbers and at the data and it's like, it's been 16, 17 years of unchanged percentages. And, which is crazy because the Latino population is huge. Yes. <laughs> and growing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, and, and it's, um, it's interesting because you think, gosh, we've admired this problem for so long. We know the problem. Yeah. We've admired the problem yeah. so long. Yeah. And, and what is it really going to take for people to have the will to, to change it and to shift it? And, um, you know, we, we got to keep showing up, I guess, and doing the work and having the conversations. But it's interesting, though, in, in, in another way you succeeded is that it, it seems like, like in Superstore and certainly in Barbie, and I haven't seen all the stuff, but, you know, it's not a, it's not a Latino yes. role. Yeah, that was different for me. That's, that, that has begun to change for me. Yeah. You know, where Superstore was the first role that I had been offered that was not written Latina. Right. On television. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, and then and Barbie, interestingly, was written Latina. Greta wrote her as a Latina character, but her being Latina had nothing to do with why she was in that movie. It's not yeah. like she's in this movie to be the Latina, right? You know, and and so that that is different, right? Well, I thought they kind of did that with everybody in terms of the inclusion in that movie, where you know, no outside of of just visually representing, it wasn't written. Really, no. As as any sort of broad character, no, yeah. no. It wasn't like, oh, well, she's the Latina one because she's in a sombrero, and he's, you know, it was like, oh, populate it with yeah. diversity and let people just be, be what they are, be humans. So that's, but so that's interesting because, like, Ugly Betty, like in, in terms of the life you were living and knowing that character, you had a personal history of that. Like you could make the you know the connection to your life very easily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, Betty. I felt very very close to Betty, um, in terms of her being like the underdog. Yeah. You know? And yeah. And kind of in a world that really was like, what are you? <laughs> and like, what do we? Where do we? Where do you fit in here? You yeah. Know? Yeah. So yeah. That was the ugly. Betty and real women have curves. Like a lot sure. of the early things. Yeah. Felt like. And even Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, to an extent, like they felt so close to my experience, and that, and that felt, um, you know, it's why I felt so, uh, so like, oh, I can do this, like yeah. I, I know this. And Superstore is just more fun. Superstore, I loved. Yes, well, Superstore is a ton of fun. Yeah. But what I loved about Superstore, yeah, was that it was about working class, yeah. everyday people, right. And that because Justin and his writers were so hilarious that they could take a show in a big box store yeah. and, like, tell a story about America, yeah. the country, right. through the eyes of, like, the majority of what Americans do. Yeah. They're in retail. They work retail. They work for these giant corporations. Yes. And they're cogs in a wheel. And, yeah. like, I, I, I saw from the beginning the opportunity to— 
I, I saw, A, how freaking funny Justin was and how funny the script was and what an incredibly talented writer he yeah. was. But to get to, like, use that humor and comedy to tell a story about real Americans. And this was, like, pre, pre the 2016 election yeah. started this. Um, and then it only got more and more and more relevant and in depth, right? Right. As we went on. Yeah. Um, well, did, now, how much were you involved as a producer on that one? I was very, yeah, very involved. I started as a producer and by the end was an executive producer. I also started um, directing on Superstore. That's oh, when I started directing. How many eps? I directed about an episode a season. Oh, that's great. And then after that, I executive produced a show for Netflix called Hentified, which is about the gentrification of Boyle Heights. Uh, and it was like a half that's hour. That's ongoing, right? Um, we I did mean, two seasons of it. Oh, you mean the yeah, gentrification? The yes, the issue. And the pushback. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I, I EP'd that, and I directed a number of those episodes as well. And that was a longer, more comedic, dramatic, completely different tone and style. Yeah. Um, Do you love it? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Now, have you done a film? Uh, a no, I am I am preparing um, my first uh, feature, uh, directorial feature. Oh, really? Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. What's the material? I mean, it's based on a. Um, it's kind of full circle. It's different, but it's a coming of age story. It's based on a young adult novel titled "I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter." Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful, beloved young adult novel written by Erica Sanchez, and um, and you optioned it? No, oh. I. They brought it to me. Oh. Um, I was like kicking myself that I wasn't the one who optioned it, but. But it got optioned and written by this brilliant screenwriter, adapted, and then um, they came to me and asked me if I would, if I would consider directing it. And so I've been involved for a number of years, um, uh, shaping it and also finding the right studio and home for it. And we're we're in it. We're in the process. So fingers crossed that gets made soon. That's amazing. Yeah. And when you, like, from TV directing to film directing, I mean, how much did you, when you were on set for many of these movies and even working with Greta, were you, like, were you, like, over at Video Village seeing what you With Greta, I was, yeah. And also, I knew I was going to direct yeah. before I did Barbie, and Greta was so gracious. She was like, you can be anywhere you want to be. She's like, you can, I, and I was, I sat in on her and Rodrigo Prieto, like shot listing the movie. He's a genius. He's a genius. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to sit there and watch these two geniuses, like talk about how they're going to shoot the movie. Yeah. And, and then she let me, I sat in and like visual effects meetings, you know, special effects meetings. I, I, you know, I just, all of it. She, I sat next to her. I, at, at the at the monitor and just got to watch her and um, it was so great. What an incredible opportunity to to um, shadow her. That's just, amazing. Were you did you were you asking questions? I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. You felt ask comfortable questions. enough to do that. Yeah, and she's pretty accessible. Yes, and yeah. she and I honestly have never met anyone who loves movies more than Greta. Yeah, like. Uh, probably Noah. She and Noah, sure. <laughs> you know, together, yeah. it's like such a big part of wh what they love. And um, and I think that like 
she would be happy to talk about movies all day every oh, day. Yeah, yeah. So it was great because I because she was such an open book and loved talking to me about it. That's an amazing opportunity. That's so good. Yeah. I oh know. my God. It's like going to school. Yeah. It's great. Oh, that must have helped so much. So yeah. like now it just broadens your whole brain. You know, as so you go back to college to learn the world and then you just be on a movie set and now you've got the <laughs> whole thing working with the best. Yeah. Now to to get back to the this monologue, because like it's a nice bookend. How many times you do it? There's no way to know for sure. I mean, there is, but I don't know how to call the... Yeah. <laughs> um, I would guess... We shot it over two days. That one scene. That one scene, because it was inside of a larger scene. Yeah. And there were like 12 actors in the scene yeah. in Weird Barbie's house, and everyone speaks, and it's a big scene, and yeah. in the middle of it is my monologue, and yeah. then the scene keeps going. Yeah. So we... We, you know, and, and the way it was blocked, we'd run the whole scene, including my monologue, top to bottom, for two days. Yeah. Was and it so, evolving? Totally. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It, it changed so much. I mean, also just like putting it in my body in that way, you know, it's one thing to sit and read it to yourself or whatever, but to like be in the space with the other actors and really embodying it, it's just like get, getting the time to sit with it. Um, and let it really kind of um, yeah. find a, a place that, that, that uh, and it found many places. And, you know, that was the one thing in the process with Greta that felt different than everything else because Greta's incredibly um, musical. She started out as a dancer. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like I, I think, should like, know Dance that. was her first... <laughs> I mean, I'm speaking for her, but yeah, yeah, yeah. what she said to me. Dance was like her first love in the arts. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the things she does has dancer. You know? Well, I love the like, I love that there that there is a musical feeling to it. Yes. And for her it was it was for it, that was inspired by her love of sort of stage musicals. Well, like yeah, I knew singing that. in yeah, the rain yeah, and yeah. Wizard of Oz and yeah. and so um there's music in the movie, but even the non musical moments had were were sing songy and and yes. they had a lyrical yeah. sense. The way it was written was lyrical, and yeah. the way she heard it was so specific. And she really would. And Ryan says this: like she was like tuning us all the time, and she really was. Like um, she'd close her eyes and have us run a scene, and 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 it was more about what it sounded like, and if it was like, is that yeah. the right note? Is this the right pace? Are we really, you know, are we hitting the notes? Yeah, and yeah. and so everything was very like. Uh, it's this speed, it's it's this tone, it's, you know, it, it was very specific. Huh. I mean, and it was still free and everything. It wasn't rigid, but it was specific. She was just and, trying to get you to understand her point of view. And she it. heard it, yeah. yeah. But with the monologue, which uh, which is like literally a, pa a page of dialogue, yeah. Um, I was like, okay, okay. We didn't really rehearse it that way. We talked about it a lot. But we didn't rehearse it. What was the conversations about mostly? Themes or like what? It was, a, it? It, was it was a lot about we shared a lot back and forth between yeah. like poetry and songs and episodes of TV shows and articles and op-eds. Like everything that kind of felt like related to the monologue, we spent months kind of sharing. Really? To kind of have a common yeah. language around yeah. 
what is the essence of what's happening here? And then, and then I remember closer to shooting, we had a rehearsal at her house that she was staying at in London. And we sat on her couch and like, that felt more like it was um, making it incredibly personal, mm. you know, which I, I don't know how to do it any other way as an actress, but to make it deeply personal. And, and that was about kind of, us relating it to us you know she and i and like what how this plays in our life and and um and then on the day i was like what is what is this supposed to sound like you know i was like is this is this supposed to be funny or is it just drama or is it you know is it fat you want me to keep it up like is it supposed to sound like everything else in barbie land and and she really just like was the only time like looked at me and was like I just want you to find it and and she gave me so much freedom and there were takes there were takes that had hysterical laughing there were takes that had hysterical tears there were incredibly angry takes and you know and and like that you know it, it went so many different places yeah. and then I did it so many different times and I had no idea I'm like ah. I'm given, I'm, I'm literally like, I, and not because I was like looking for, it was just like, okay, I'll just drop into it and see where it goes this time. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, now I'll do a funny take. Right. Now I'll do, it was just like, each time it was just find a thread, pull it and follow the thread. And they were all subtly different? And they or were very all di- very different. Wow. And so when it was done, I was like, sh- she's going to have to decide and she's going to have to find it and, and 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 I was, you know, very confident that that she would, and that, that it was in there, that it was you yeah. did it. Yeah. And I think the other question was like, how does this, like, how does this fit into the rest of the movie, right? Well, I mean, it seems to me like now before I say that, but did you add stuff on the day? We didn't add stuff on the day. No, no. there was no improv. Oh, yeah. Um, we had talked about certain. So, so you built it out. We built some things in. We tweaked and right. Yeah. But it seems like from months before she knew it was like going to define the third act, if not be the centerpiece of the movie. Yes, when she first sent me the script, she said, "I wrote this thing that I'm calling Gloria's aria, and it's the moment that everything shifts changed. Yeah. and changes everything." And so from the beginning, she was like, so she knew there's this thing and I want (laughs) it to be you. And it was just felt like a, it just felt like a dream. Like it's just something I never expected. But your responsibility in the movie is, is kind of, I'm just thinking out loud now. I mean, you are the human. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The only human. Yeah. And your and daughter. my daughter, yeah, Ariana. Because the corporate guys aren't human. No, they're like, yeah. yeah. It's it, that's I. So the whole movie hinges on your humanity in a way. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome for representing all of humanity. Um, I. Uh, it was challenging. You yeah. know what was challenging was how hard it was to not give in to the energy of Barbie land. Like she, everyone's right. like dancing and singing and yeah. it's Barbie land and everything's heightened. And I'm like, I want to do that. And yeah. it's like, oh, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to be the human warts and all. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, there was gra- the harder, the, the, not the harder, but the, 
the the thing I had to unlock for myself in playing the character was here is a woman who is a uh, has um, a childlike imagination and desire and a and a and a and a need to play and suspend disbelief and like believe that Barbie's coming for her and taking her into the real world. Sure. Like Wants it. there's a childlike yeah. uh, um, yearning there. And she's deeply, deeply human, frustrated. She's a real woman. She knows the disappointment of life. Challenges. Challenges. And, and also, you know, her, her teen daughter is like, pulling away from her and mm-hmm. making her feel kind of rejected. And yeah. so, so it was, you know, all these very real human feelings coupled with the fantastical energy of a child yeah. in one woman's body. And when I started out, that seemed like, how am I going to play that? Yeah. And, and actually what I realized is like, I am that. And, <laughs> and, we're just so not used to seeing women get to be all those things. Yeah. Like that she gets to be taken serious and seriously and be real and, and be considered deep and smart and all the things and get to seek play and childlike wonder. And, and so it was sort of like in a way through the process of being Gloria finding for my, giving myself America the permission to be more of what I am. Yeah. That's great. So it was a really um deep journey. Life changing. Yeah, I would I, yeah. Of course. Yeah. It seems like between that and and that professor <laughs> <laughs> those were big moments. Yeah, we've got a um an autobiography there. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so what? So now you're just working on the movie you're going to direct and waiting for the. I'm. Big show I have and... my next acting job gig. You do? Yeah, that I'm really excited about. Which, by the way, is is always the only thing that I want as an actor is like another job, like another chance to do it again. You yeah. know, and one that you're excited about is and, good. Yeah, and one that I'm excited about. So Who I. Who you working I, with? Um, I'm not, it's not announced, oh, I'm not okay. allowed to say, but yeah. it's exciting. I'm very excited about it. And um, and so it's that, and then simultaneously, you know, um, trying to push the movie into production, my my movie that yeah. I'm directing. Great. It's so nice talking to you. Yeah, thank Thanks you. for doing it. Thanks so I didn't much. get you in trouble. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Right? Pretty good. We just, she just got into it. Nice talk. Barbie is obviously everywhere. You can see it streaming on Max. Tomorrow's episode features Rodrigo Prieto, the cinematographer of both Barbie and Killers of the Flower Moon. Monday is Best Actress nominee Lily Gladstone. Uh, this podcast is hosted by ACAST. And uh, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>